It is good to see you. Thank you for making the effort to come out this morning. I know that uh, that it was a challenge to uh, to be here today, and I pray that the Lord will uh, have a very special blessing as you uh, have come to worship Him today. When I was a uh, a child, we used to have a song that we would sing in kids' church, and uh, I'll spare you from trying to sing it, but I'll give you the words, and you can tell me if you've heard it or not. Um, it goes something like, "I have got the joy, 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 joy." Down, okay, so you've heard it too. Down in my heart. And then the song continues. And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Sit on attack. Did that, is that what everybody said? If the devil doesn't, you know, I grew up in a suburb of Houston, Texas, and we didn't sing it that way. We said, if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on a bomb. And then, and then we would thrust ourselves out of the chair to our feet. And so, you know, I've, I've, I've been intrigued by the Midwestern version of it. You know, it's just a little softer on the devil. But, uh, if the devil doesn't like it, right? Doesn't the devil try to keep joy out of our hearts? I don't know that the devil is really all that worried about a church or a people or a person that isn't filled with joy. Joy is contagious. Joy is something that, that, uh, that, that describes what is happening internally in someone's life. Joy is greater than happiness. And we'll talk about that distinction in just a minute. But as we go through the gifts of Christmas this Advent season, we started with hope. We then looked at love, and today we look at joy, something certainly that comes to us in the birth of Jesus Christ. I hope that as we unwrap each of these gifts throughout the Advent season, that it will be something that God will, will, will bring to you afresh, something new to, to consider, even if it's, a, a, if it's a familiar story, a familiar account that we read, that there'll be something that the Lord will bring out that will uh, refresh your soul this Christmas season. We are going to be in... Uh, the Gospel of Luke in just a few minutes. But before we get there, let's talk about joy. Uh, joy can be defined this way. A positive attitude or pleasant emotion. A delight, including gladness, contentment, and cheerfulness. Now, what's the difference between joy and happiness? Here's how uh, uh, the Nelson Bible Dictionary explains it. It says, this joy rises above circumstances and focuses on the very character of God. The joy is something that comes from within based upon who Christ is, based upon what he has done uh, for us and what he is doing in us, regardless of the circumstances. In fact, Peter would even write and talk about considering it all pure joy, even when we face what? trials, persecutions, difficulties. And that, that really runs counterintuitive to the thinking of the world, or it certainly doesn't run with the thinking of happiness. But joy is something that's rooted deeper, even deeper than circumstances that we may be enduring. At the time in which Jesus came, it was certainly a world in need of joy. Let me make just a couple of, uh, of points about the time in which Jesus was born. Think about the political climate of that day. The, uh, the people of Israel were under domination of an outside empire, the Roman Empire, one that was very cruel, one that was ruthless, one that at the time was being ruled by a madman, Caesar Augustus. And uh, we can look around even in our day and we can, we can find examples of, of people who are like tyrants, Dictators. You might think of a, of a, of a nation ruled like uh, uh, North Korea under Kim Jong-un. But think of that man had more than just the little nation that he's in charge of. What if he had an entire empire? 
What if he, what if he had a, a, a territory that spanned several time zones? That's what it was like politically in the day in which Jesus was born. Morally, the Roman Empire, of course, uh, was one of uh, the uh, uh, the most sinful uh, had, had some of the most sinful appetites that that would have that would have been justified uh, in the world at that time. Uh, the uh, the the moral condition was was terrible. Uh, it was as immoral a time as the world has ever seen. And when you think about about the the the, the immorality of a of a culture or of a society, and you you can be reminded of the impact that it has upon upon lives, upon people, upon families. Uh, and so sin was ruling and reigning ruthlessly. And so with that, you have the darkness of a culture and broken lives that have been impacted by a moral depravity. Also spiritually, we think about the political and the moral bankruptcy, but also spiritually, it was a, a bleak condition for the nation of Israel. It had been a long time since they'd heard from a prophet of God. We looked at this two weeks ago. There had been about 400 years of silence, nothing, no one that was speaking on God's behalf to to the people. And they they were they were discouraged. There had been a long silence from God. These were the days in which Jesus was born, a world desperately in need of good news. And think about our world today. Even if you want to look at some of those same aspects, politically, morally, spiritually, and we might see some parallels in the idea of the of the need that exists today. Well, that was the backdrop for the words that we look at this morning in Luke chapter two. I invite your attention there. Let's look. Uh, we'll look at verses eight through 14. We'll begin by looking at, the, at verses eight, nine and ten of Luke chapter two. A familiar account. But again, maybe one that the Lord will use to uh, to encourage and refresh our souls uh, this Christmas season. Verse 8 says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This is the message of the angel to those who were outside of town that night. In the year of 1719, Isaac Watts wrote a hymn, one that uh, would become one of the uh, more popular Christmas hymns, uh, Christmas carols, Joy to the World. And uh, the interesting thing about this song is that, that it's only in uh, one stanza that's related to the birth of Christ when it announces the Lord has come. There's not any other detail about shepherds or angels or Mary or Joseph. But if you look at the, the, the verse that we just read in verse 10, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You get the idea there that he was thinking about joy to the world. And I think that that song really embodies the the Christmas season, the message of Christmas, the joy that is made available for all people. I bring you good news of great joy. In fact, this uh, this idea of, of good news is is the same word that we would use in, in speaking about evangelism. It's, it's, it's saying that there's a message to proclaim. There is something to announce. And in the birth of Christ, there is something that that uh, that is that is certainly good news. And that is uh, continued as we read in verse 11. 
He says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the good news. A, a savior has been born. In fact, if you look at verse 11, I think it's the only verse that we find in scripture where the where three titles of Jesus are given. You see, savior, Christ and Lord. And then if you look down in verse 12, which we'll read in a few minutes in, in a minute here, it also has the word baby. And so those titles, those words describe the good news that the Savior, the Christ, the Lord has been born. All these years of waiting, all these prophecies that, that the prophets had spoken of hundreds of years before, the angel was now announcing to a group of shepherds outside the city that the day, the time had finally arrived. That he has been born. This baby in the city of David. Who would be known as a savior. Who would be known as the Christ. Who would be known as the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby. Verse 12. Wrapped in swaddling cloths. And lying in a manger. The joy of Christmas is found. In the birth of Jesus Christ. In the birth we find the joy. And we see in a moment, the identity as well. In 1809, there was a, uh, a man by the name of Napoleon who was also one who the world had their eye on. Napoleon was hungry for power. He was hungry to see his territory expanded. Many thought he would be the first one since Alexander the Great who just might uh, begin to conquer uh, nation after nation. Very few people that year were thinking about the babies that were being born in 1809. But there were some significant births that year. William Gladstone was born. He would be a great prime minister in England one day. In 1809, Alfred Lord Tennyson was born. He would greatly affect the literary world. 1809, Oliver Wendell Holmes was born. And not far away, another by the name of Edgar Allan Poe novelist, poet. 1809, Charles Darwin was born, a man who would grow up and obviously become known for, uh, for what he would uh, promote in, uh, in science. 1809, in a rugged log cabin in Kentucky, Abraham Lincoln was born. So the history of two great nations in the world at that time, England and America, were being shaped, but people might not have known what was taking place in the cribs in those lands. 2,000 years ago, there was a baby born. And he would shape the destiny of the entire world. Much more than these that were born in that year. He would, he would be born in the entire calendar. And the dating system would be devised based upon the approximate time in which he was born. This was a birth unlike any other. And in fact, it's interesting that here would be the birth of a Lord, the birth of a Savior, the birth, the birth of the Christ, the Messiah. And yet, where was the location? It says that he would be wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. That he wasn't being born in a castle. That he wasn't being born in a palace. That he was being born in a, in a very simple, humble town outside of Jerusalem. To some very simple, common, ordinary people in Mary and Joseph. And in fact, 
even laid in a in a lowly manger as he was born. Now, I know that brings about a lot of questions. We think about the fact that there was not room in the inn. Was he was he born in a barn? Was he born in a in a stable? Was he born in a cave? Well, the, the Bible doesn't give all the details. We know that it certainly was a very modest place, likely. In first century Israel, it wouldn't have been unusual for animals to be at the lower level of a home. I've, I've read some over the, the last the last year. And uh, it's interesting, some of the accounts from archaeology that are that are talking about how even the, the lower level of the house, the animals would be brought in at night, which sounds strange to us. But in a in a very humble home in that time, it would have been more common, a simple home in that day. In fact, I sent out a couple of articles. If you get the e-newsletter on Fridays, you might be interested in, in seeing some of the, the details of, 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 uh, of study that has happened uh, to show that, that it, it might not have been a barn or a stable after all. A manger could have been in a, in a lower level of a home. Now, again, I'm not trying to be the spoiler on the, uh, on the nativity scene. Just saying that it's interesting that some of these details uh, can be sought. As we uh, as we think about when he was born, either way, he was certainly in a very humble location, showing us that he was coming to the common people. He was coming to meet the needs of everyday uh, humans, being both God and man, literally the son of God conceived miraculously of a virgin to be the one who could be the bridge between God and man, fully human but also fully divine, the mediator between God and man, the promised Messiah, the deliverer. Who would have imagined that he would come as a baby to Mary and Joseph? His birth, of course, announced even to shepherds by an angel. They would have been uh, not the, the most prestigious group in the area, but, but again, just a, a, a message to, to the everyday person of the good news that the angel was proclaiming. In fact, it would be a birth that, that would make its way, uh, the, 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 the message would be known all the way to the area of Persia and wise men would come from the east on a journey. Now, again, I'm not, not trying to, to be the spoiler on the nativity set again, but most of the nativity sets have the, the wise men where? Right there in, in proximity. But, but how long did it probably take for the wise men to make that journey to find the baby Jesus? If you look at Matthew 2, it probably took a little while. So, so I don't know, maybe, maybe take the wise men and just move them off, you know, to the east side of the living room. I don't know, maybe that, maybe that might help or, or, or bring them back out this summer, you know, and bring them, bring them out. And, but uh, the wise men did get the message. So from, the, from the, the, the learned and the elite all the way to the common shepherd, the message was given. People were told that there was a, a message, a message of good news that would be joy for all people. Joy for all people. Is there reason for joy in our hearts today? If the wise men were rejoicing, if the angel gave a message uh, to rejoice, would there be any reason for us 2,000 years later to have our hearts filled with joy as we think about his birth? Martin Luther said it this way, God sent his son not to oppress us with heaviness, and sorrow, but to cheer up 
our souls in him. For this cause, the prophets, the apostles and Christ himself exhorts us. Yes, they command us to rejoice and be glad. Have you thought about joy from that standpoint? That as followers of Christ, we are called to be joyful people because of what resides within us, because of what has happened to us. We are a changed people, transformed by his mercy and by his grace, which, of course, allows us to see that we are in a different situation, a different condition than we once were in. And it brings joy. Well, the joy of Christmas, not only found in the birth of Jesus, but also in his identity. I want to go back to what we read there in verse 11 with the angel explaining that that born this day in Bethlehem is a savior who is Christ the Lord. This word savior in uh, thinking about it from the Old Testament times would have always been describing someone who saved people from the enemies. That would have been a savior. And in fact, savior was always used to speak of God, that he and he alone was the savior. In fact, he said in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 11, I, even I am the Lord and besides me, there is no savior. Isaiah 49, 26 All flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior. And what's the next word there? And your Redeemer. So we're we're getting a picture here, a description of who this baby would be, why he came. And he came, of course, to be the Savior. In fact, not a passage that we typically look at in the, the Christmas narrative, but in the, the, uh, the book of First John, chapter 4, it says in verse 14, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. This was his identity as a Savior. Savior means to bring about salvation, to, to make one safe, or secure. And when we think about the, the, the connection there of, of a savior coming to, to make one safe from the enemy and realizing that, that the, that the, that the, uh, that the sinful condition that we're, that we're born into is something that, that will be uh, penalized, something that will lead us astray. We understand that he is saving us from the penalty of our own sin. He's saving us from the, from the, from the life that is that is that is uh, that is ravaged by the destructive nature of sin. That He has come to to be the Savior, to rescue, to redeem, to make safe, to make secure. In fact, in Matthew's Gospel, the angel would speak to Mary and say it this way in chapter one: "And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save." His people from their sins. This is, this is the connection that we have to the word Savior. This is the reason that we can have hope in being saved from the penalty of sin. In fact, it's interesting that Jesus, the name Jesus, is the Greek form of a Hebrew word, Joshua. And do you know what the word Joshua means? Savior. 
So his name, his identity is that of coming to be the Savior. If you think about it, you'll realize that by identifying Jesus as Savior, it not only tells us who he is, but it tells us one other thing. You know what that is? It tells us who we are. It tells us that there was a need for a Savior to come. And I, I know that in, in a culture that, that seeks to, to redefine what is right and wrong and what is sin or what is good and bad, and there's a whole lot of confusion out there in the world. But the absolute truth of God's word makes it clear what morality is and right and wrong. Even going all the way back to the Ten Commandments, there was, there was a standard that was put forth. And we see that we have transgressed. We have broken it. And so, so that, that's bad news, isn't it? That we, that we are sinners, that we, that we have the effects and the penalty of sin. It is bad news, but it helps to establish the good news. In fact, that's what the angel was saying. I bring you good news. I come to tell you of a Savior being born. Again, in their minds, they would have been thinking that's a responsibility that God would do, that he would provide to save us from our enemies, not to save us from the Romans, but to save us, as it says here in the Gospel of Matthew, to save us from our sins. Here's how one poet put it. He said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. And that's why the angel could say there was joy. For people to be rejoicing over the fact that the Savior had come. But again, He wasn't just the Savior. He was also the Lord. This is a title used thousands of times in the scriptures. Many times it is used for the name Yahweh. Uh, it's used for the, the, the idea of Jehovah God. And so it's incredible news that, that this one that was being born was also the Lord, that he was in charge not only of uh, that, that time, not only as the Savior of the world, but also as the Lord of the universe. This was the little baby wrapped in swaddling cloths who was lying in a manger. Now, I know that in the holiday season, sometimes joy may not be the first emotion that's bubbling out. Sometimes the holidays are tough. Sometimes we we, we get to the uh, the holiday season and and for whatever reason, there's there's a there's a there's a challenge to to see the joy expressed. And uh, I won't ask you to, to raise your hands if you're, if you're feeling that, but I just know enough to know that, that there probably are some or many that struggle with joy this time of year. And so we, we ask ourselves, well, what is the key then? How can we receive the gift of joy if we're in a time of pain or grief, a time of suffering or loneliness or maybe stress? How could we find joy? The world is looking for joy. 
In fact, the, the, the world is longing for it. There, there's all kinds of things that are put out there, whether it's entertainment or pleasure. Uh, there's all the, 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 the promises that the joy or contentment can be found in, in certain things. In fact, there was even one company that was so brazen enough that they thought they could bottle it. I kid you not. They call it joy juice. Do you see that picture on the screen? Kickapoo joy juice. And look at the bottom of it. The original Joy juice recipe. So maybe there's more than one. I don't know. Um, I don't know anything about the drink. I've not drank it. I did read that it was a soft drink, though, in case you're wondering. The Kickapoo Joy Juice. Now, isn't that just like the world to try to, to give us something else out there that, 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 uh, that could bring about uh, the need that we have? Well, let me give you another one. Would you turn with me to John 15? I'd like for us to close our thoughts on joy this morning, thinking about what Jesus said about joy. I think he gave to us in John 15 the, uh, the real answer in finding joy. Look at what he says in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. And we're familiar with the imagery here. We're familiar with the vine, the branch, the the fruit that's being produced. We're familiar with the idea of of us being in Christ and that, that by being connected to him, connected to the vine, the branch receives what it needs. But it's interesting that all of this culminates in John 15 with joy. But before we get there, the first eight verses speak to us about bearing fruit. Verse five, bearing much fruit. What kind of fruit do you suppose the Lord would want to to uh, produce in us? Any ideas? The fruit of the spirit. That's right. You can think through how it's described. The different aspects there. Verse nine tells us that that we are to abide In his love. Look at verse 10. It tells us to keep his commandments. So by 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 abiding or being connected or resting in Christ, we are bearing fruit. We are abiding in his love. We are wanting to obey him by keeping his commandments. And then what happens in verse 11? These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. Do you think John 15 has some of the key there for us? Even if we're not feeling the emotion at this moment. To be reminded that joy can be ours. By coming close to our our Lord. By abiding in Him. Trusting in Him. Wanting to, to, to abide in His love. We looked at that last week. Love meaning, meaning His provision, his, his commitment, His sacrificial commitment to us in this life and in the life to come. And even beyond that, looking at verse 10, speaking of His commandments, that we want to obey Him. So sometimes when the joy is absent, it may be that I've not been abiding in Him. It may be that I've not been been trusting in his love. It may be that I've not been obeying his commandments. 
And so to get back to the basics and to look at a passage like John 15 that encourages us to abide in him. What's the correlation when we bear fruit, when we abide in his love, when we keep his commandments, we are opening up the flow of joy into our lives. There's a real key here in John 15. The presence of joy in our lives. The presence is linked to the source of our joy. Let me put it this way. If we try to put the source of our joy in things, and those things or those experiences fail us, then our joy wanes. But if our joy is found in Jesus, the one who's described as the Savior, the Christ, and the Lord, if we abide in Him, His joy will also be present. I think we see the connection there. The joy that is found in the birth of Jesus. It's not just for angels or shepherds. Not just for the wise men. It's offered for all who will take refuge in him. And so maybe the Christmas season, that's the invitation for you today. Is to draw near. Maybe for the first time. Or maybe in a way of of, of coming close again to the Lord. To abide in him. To set aside the the busyness of this time of year. Or to set aside the disappointments or the challenges of this life. And to look unto who He is. His identity. As well as who we are in Him. Before we pray this morning, I'd like for us to finish reading that that section of Luke chapter 2. Because I think it ends very fittingly in verses 13 and 14. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Can you get a picture of what that might have looked like? You have one angel there and it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. And then all of a sudden a multitude. It's as if something was was uh, was pulled back and and there was this heavenly host, this heavenly army of angelic beings making a proclamation By saying in verse 14, as they praise God, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. Glory to God. A savior has been born. Glory to God. The long awaited Messiah has come. Glory to God. The Lord of the universe willing to be born in a lowly manger. He has come. He has come glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. There's the joy for us this morning. Let's pray together and ask God to fill us and fuel us once again with his joy. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you as we celebrate this time of the year and we reflect back upon a familiar passage that describes the account at that time in which you were born. We come to it today thanking you that it was a joyful proclamation. And we thank you that it is not just words, but it is a reality for those who abide in you. So, Father, we pray that that we can abide in Jesus Christ, your son. May we abide in, in your love 
May we abide in such a way that that we that we uh, faithfully follow your commands. And God, may we abide so that you would produce fruit through us. And we pray that joy would be something that would be a, a mark of our spirit, a mark of our countenance as we relate to one another. And as we represent you by sharing this good news to those outside these walls. Father, we thank you for who you sent us as a savior. We thank you that we've had an opportunity to hear his name. And we pray even today for those who have not yet heard, whether they be in our community or in the distant parts of this world. God, may the may the glory of Jesus Christ be made known. We ask, Father, for you to continue to bless our our time of worship today. We ask your blessing upon the offering that will be received. We pray that you will use it now, that you will uh, that you will bless it and further it for the continuance of your work. Both within this church and around this world, for it's in Christ's name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.